This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I'm ready to party! Good morning, Vietnam! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Magic myth on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. This episode is sponsored by Tiredness. From getting up at 4am to watch a boxing match. I didn't. No. I was sensible. I stayed in bed. I had dreams about trying to fit lots of stuff in my suitcase. And trying to get a train. (laughs) But apart from that, I'm good. Yeah. So welcome to his film, her movie. Yes, welcome. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And we are the film that takes a subject or theme, picks two films, and discusses it. Yes. Um, what do we have to talk about this week? Well, housekeeping wise, we don't really have that much. No. We've got. Um, we want to direct people to, obviously, we are podsyndicate dot com, mm-hmm. but also um, if you aren't aware of it we actually do have another feed so every podcast that produces a podcast has their own apple podcast feeds etc but we have a bonus show feed so these are the shows that uh, produce like spin-offs or one-offs that we'll do um, as collaborations with other podcasts and so therefore you've got Noel from Beyond the Neon and Mike and from Chinstrucker versus Punter a while back they did a podcast called um what's the damage Mm -hmm. so some of those podcasts are up and there's a few going to be going on there in the future for example play it forward and which is a podcast that well i'm getting involved with soon but what ian mark and all do and then me and ian are soon going to start a a bit of a wes anderson rewatch but by doing audio commentaries for his films going up to the um the french dispatch so, That'll be good. We yeah. often seem to have Ian's dulcet tones echoing around That's the house. That's it. And we thought... All the time. Me and Ian <laughs> do enjoy a bit of Wes Anderson, so hopefully that'll be entertaining and insightful. As long as it's not like five hours long, like film bastards <laughs> normally is. Well, it's a commentary, so it'll be the, the length of the film. All right, so it's going to be five hours long. Yeah. Okay, if anybody would uh, like to be my new husband, because I'm not going to see him now due to Wes Anderson films, please let us know in the social media comments. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, we might as well get on to the show. Um, what we're doing this week? We are doing Dysfunctional Families. Yes. So following on from unusual love stories last week, yeah. we're going to for Dysfunctional Families. Yes. Um, and two very different dysfunctional families in a way. Yeah, I feel like mine is a little bit more of a normal dysfunctional family. Yeah. You definitely didn't go out the box. You jumped out of it and set it on fire. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. And what was your film? I picked Dogtooth, um, the film from Yorgos Lanthanamos. Yeah, and I picked uh, the 2006 film Little Miss Sunshine. Yes. The... 
Oscar-winning film. Two Oscars. Well, yeah, it won Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor. Yes. Thought so. No, it's good. And um, we'll get into that soon. But I think we should start with Dogtooth because... I mean, when I put this to watch, we watched these both films on one night, so it was a bit of a... <laughs> it was a heavy Friday. It was a bit of a rollercoaster of emotions. Lots of cans of cocktail were consumed <laughs> yeah. during these. But I thought, watch the bit more of a twisted one before the more light-hearted one. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with Dogtooth. Yeah. <laughs> Μόνο τότε ο οργανισμός είναι έτοιμος να αντιμετωπίσει όλους τους κινδύνους που παρεφυλάνε. So Dogtooth is a 2009 film, as I said, by Yorgos Lanthimos, mm-hmm. who is directed last year as The Favourite. He's directed um, Alps, The Lobster, Killing of a Straight Sacred Deer. He's a very particular style. He's very, I don't want to say weird, but strange. He likes to direct things that have a very certain point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that is skewed to one way or the other. Um, and this is about a family in Greece... However, um, the mother and father have, well, it's a nameless family as well. The mother and father have three children, two daughters and one son. Mm-hmm. But these children have never, or seem to have never left the compound of their home. No, it's really weird because it's like, it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And everywhere around it seems really desolate. Um, except for this really lush, beautiful house. Yeah, and so it's not only are they sort of isolated away from society mm-hmm. the mother and father for reasons that we don't really get to find out we don't find out at all um are teaching them different things for example certain things mean uh, are named differently yeah like the salt yes. like, can you pass the phone and yeah. their mum pass the salt yeah and the opening scene that's, that's what the opening scene there is a, a, an audio cassette playing and it's basically saying how what 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 a thing is, mm-hmm. and then describing it in a sentence. However, what they're explaining is not correct, and the description is not correct. So therefore, yes, it's yes. having that disconnect of society of not knowing what is true and what is not. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that opening scene scene is so disorientating. Yeah, I literally just wrote nonsense sentences. <laughs> so it's you're trying to get around what. He's actually being told what what's the story? Who are these people? And yeah, it, it takes you, I think, a good few scenes to try and get into the vibe of the film. Mm-hmm. And what did you think about Dogtooth? Um, yeah, I agree that it was very weird trying to get into the film. Um, it was just there were just the kids are all adults. Yeah, yeah. But the 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 way their minds work. They're not adults. Yeah, the kind, the kind of the perpetual childhood, yeah. perpetual innocence in some aspects, not all aspects, is what we'll get into. Um, yeah, like more stickers you had, the more you were winning. Yeah, 
very weird punishments of like holding mouthwash in their mouths mm. for long periods of time. Um, the whole family had incredibly little emotion yeah, yeah. for anything at all. Mm. Um, and what I didn't get was like, the wife is also in on the isolation. Oh, yeah. Like she can use the telephone and do everything and it's just like... She chooses. She chooses to be isolated. But the thing is, what I quite like about it is that it, it gives the audience the opportunity to think of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's certain plot points that you come along um, and there's certain sort of things that are highlighted throughout the film which kind of point you in a direction of why this is happening mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily come out and just see it. it. It's always... It has the ambiguity of the audience being able to fill in the gaps themselves. Um, but yeah, it's it is it's sort of like a what am I watching film. Yeah. Because it's a mystery box. You're trying to work out everything that's happening and who people are. And obviously when people don't have names, I think there's only a couple of people who are actually named in the film. There's Christina, who is a girl, security a security guard at the plant where the father works because the father does seem to lead a normal life outside of yeah, he goes to work. He interacts with the people. We don't really know what he does. No, he works in a factory or some sort of mill or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he has, I mean, paid, but got this the security guard for this to come through to blindfolded as well, so they don't know where they live. Yeah. Um, to facilitate their son, shall we say? Yeah. So but again, in like the most unemotional. Yeah. Dead sort but, of way. And, and that's why I think it's... It's what... How much of ourselves do we get from the environment around us? Mm-hmm. And what do we get from being at school or through... Again, through family, through friends, through everything. It's like... All of that unknowing subconsciously gets into you and dictates your, your emotions yeah. and dictates your actions and the way you are. So when you take that away from development, what does that do to you? And I think that's exactly what this film has got going for it. Because it's all about the communication. It's, it's very much a social experiment in yeah, a way. Yeah, it is. And it would make a little bit more sense, like, have, have they decided to do this as kind of some sort of weird experiment? But then there's no... Or at least we don't see any kind of... Um, Oh, what's it called? Like results or notes? Or... Well, well, I mean, for me, what it, what I mean, again, it's it's a ten years old, probably eleven years old movie. Is it's mentioned and hinted that this couple has lost a child? Yeah, a couple of the, times. The, the, the brother over the wall. Yeah. So, what my reading of that is? Okay, they've had a child die. Mm-hmm. So. And they don't want to go through that again. And obviously, as a, a massive overstep and a massive sort of overreaction, they've went through saying, okay, well, if they're in this house... They won't die. They won't die. Now, the reason... I didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Siri. John's trying to be fancy, by the way. <laughs> and he's his iPad for everything. 
So yeah, so I I think <laughs> I think that it's a reading of them being they they grief their grief, but I, I don't really understand why they're teaching them different words for different things. I understand I could I, I could understand the isolation, mm-hmm. um, and the bringing the thing in uh, the the girl in for the for the boy because obviously the father knows that well if a young boy doesn't get to do a certain thing then things might happen with other people which it spoilers happens it happens anyways yeah. but, but it's a bit of but it's a bit of a last resort but yeah it's it's the entire style of the movie and the mood of the movie that i like because you're talking about how everybody's so unemotional and that, that's obviously a choice yeah um from the director and from his actors of being childlike, like the opening scene when they're talking about rolling their hands under a tap, and it's mm-hmm. it's so very childish. But then they start taking it quite seriously. Yeah. And then when things start to happen, like you've got a, one of the daughters, the youngest daughter, you can see that she has medical knowledge, mm-hmm. so she's been reading up now. Have the parents give her that task so that she can take care of the other kids if they were to get sick. Yeah, because she does like that. She checks over her sister, doesn't mm. she? So therefore, they won't need to go to hospitals, etc., etc. And it is, in many ways, a prison movie. Yeah. Without a prison, and it's all about what that oppression does to you. Um, and we've got the eldest daughter, though, the eldest child, <clears throat> and she starts to see cracks in everything and starts to push the boundaries. Yeah, but it's not. I feel like she goes from naught to a hundred very fast with these whole boundary things. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really see a huge amount of cracks until like the last um twenty minutes of the film, and it's like one big thing sort of just happens, and she's like, "Right, I'm just gonna do this." That's it. Well, I think as well, it's you've got the scene where she understands what. Christina comes in to the family. Um, now, she's brought in to basically have sex with the son, mm-hmm. the boy. At the start, you can see her as a bit of a victim. However, she soon realises that she can manipulate the other people because they have no understanding of social yeah. structure or the way things work. And she gets what she wants out of it. Now, when the eldest daughter clocks on to that, she starts using her... Against herself. And I think that's when she starts learning that she can actually fight back. Yeah. Um, Although there is rules and things that she still abides by to try and Mm -hmm. get out. But, yeah, it's it's a very strange movie. But there's a lot going on underneath the surface that you can analyse. Because you, you could literally see, like... A psychology student picking this film and trying to pick oh, it apart and analyze they'd have it. Like an absolute bloody ball trying to pick apart this thing. Yeah, absolute ball. And it's it's, it's it has that subdued temperament to it, that subdued mood. It's very it's quite slow. Mm-hmm. But then you have these shocking moments of violence. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's real violence because we, we had a talk about it after the movie had finished about how like for like film violence you get cringed by gore 
Yeah, I don't like a lot of gore. Where I get cringed by when it looks real. Mm-hmm. Um, I can deal with blood splatters, arms flying everywhere, head exploding. No. But when somebody actually hits somebody else and you you can see it, them actually hitting them yeah. and hear the blow and it's not a, a, a cinema blow where you can hear a punch land, it's the, the dull thud. Yeah. Um, there's a scene in this film where the eldest child blackmails Christina to lend in her some videotapes. Yeah. And one of those videotapes is Rocky Four. Yeah. Um, there's a great scene where she's sort of reciting it, but her father finds out about these tapes and then duct tapes the cassette to his hand and beats the daughter with it all yeah. across the head. And then subsequently goes over to Christina's house and beats her with a VCR player. Mm-hmm. And it's so visceral and brutal mm-hmm. that yeah it's it's not even it doesn't even linger on it it's over within a second oh yeah it's really quick it's more like a real life yeah real life oh it's it's really it's quite unsettling mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it can't be seen as disturbing there is incest in this film yeah and um, which is not great no and it's done as a well because they can't use Christina anymore and they want the son to be able to do what he does so they choose the eldest daughter and that scene is so hard to watch. Oh yeah, it's awful. Um, and that's the thing as well, is that you've got this style where it's minimal coverage so they don't really... The Lanthimos just puts his camera there. He may cut now and again but he just lets you watch things unfold mm-hmm. and that allows it to be quite voyeuristic. Yeah. And uneasy because it's voyeuristic because if you're using your film techniques to try and create a style then sometimes you can therefore disconnect yourself from what's happening on screen but when it's just planted on a tripod and, and, just, you, runs. and just runs you feel when you're watching it if it's a, it's a nervous energy and it's sort of like a i shouldn't be watching this i should look away because it's it's not nice to watch no it's not it's not nice at all Saying all that, I do still like this movie quite a lot. I think it's, I mean, it's not an entertaining movie. It's not an enjoyable movie to watch, <laughs> but it's still a great movie. Uh, and it's one of those where, at the time, there was a bit of a, a Greek New Wave movement starting um, in in Greece. And yeah, it's it's good to see the cinema of these small nations going on the world stage. I think it's actually got a, an, an Oscar nomination for oh, okay. um, foreign language, what well, international film feature as it is now. Um, it didn't win, but yeah, and, and I say Lanthimos now is fully embedded in English language films because mm-hmm. obviously the lobster came and killing of a sacred deer, worked with um, Colin Fowler a few times and then got a few Oscars with uh, The Favourite. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does next. And if it if he still stays with his unique style, mm-hmm. anything else you want to add? Um, not really. It was a little bit of a weird sort of watch. I don't know. My favorite line of the whole thing was, uh, "Your mother will give birth to two children and a dog." Yeah. All right then, and they just go okay. Yeah, it's it's so. I I do actually. I think you really could analyze this of like how people develop 
um, in a certain because the basically being brought up in a vacuum, and what their parents say is Bible. But no, I think that's probably it for um, Dogtooth. Yeah. It's a recommend from me, but it's only it's in a film that I've only seen twice now. I saw it in two thousand nine when I came out, and do you know what? I, I wouldn't be bothered if it was another ten years before I saw it again. Yeah, I've never watched it. You know, I've watched some Greek art house. I yeah. prefer the director's other films. Yeah. Um. But no. Put it on the weird list. Put it on the weird list. <laughs> put it on the weird list. I can put it on the what's that? What's that thing? The list online. Letterboxd. Yeah, I can put it on my letterbox list. There we are. Need to start actually filling that in. I think, <laughs> I think I've got like Mean Girls, Amelie, and um, Knives Out on there. I think that's like, all I've got. But no, we might, we might as well go on to your film. Yay, happy film. This podcast you're listening to, pretty good, isn't it? Only problem is, it's about halfway through. Pretty soon, it'll be over. And then what are you going to do? Well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to wearepodsyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's On Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on the bonus shows. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to Film Bastards, a podcast where three friends, two of them married and two of them podcasting life partners, chat everything from new releases, trailers, news, and an eclectic mix of other film goodies over many, many, many tangents. You can find them by searching your podcast provider or check them out on Twitter and Instagram by searching Film Bastards. You never know, you might like it. And if you don't, well, we don't really give a f. Yeah. I'm kind of scared about tomorrow. Are you kidding me? You're going to blow them out of the water. They're not going to know what hit them. Grandpa? Yeah. Am I pretty? Olive? You are the most beautiful girl in the whole world. Yeah, you're just saying that. No, I'm not. I'm madly in love with you. And it's not because of your brains or your personality. It's because you're beautiful, inside and out. Grandpa? What? I don't want to be a loser. You're not a loser. Where'd you get the idea you're a loser? Daddy hates losers. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up a minute. You know what a loser is? A real loser is somebody that's so afraid of not winning, they don't even try. Now, you're trying, right? Yeah. Well, then you're not a loser. We're going to have fun tomorrow, right? Yeah. We can tell them all to go to hell. Good night, sweetie. I love you. So... My pick for dysfunctional family, like we said, is a little bit more pedestrian. 
a little bit more of a dysfunctional family that you might actually know. Yeah. Uh, the 2006 film Little Miss Sunshine. It was directed by Valerie Farris and Jonathan Dayton. It's got a really good cast. It's, really good character um, actor cast, yeah. Tony Collette, Steve Carell, Abigail Breslin, Greg Kinnear, Alan Arkin and Paul Dano. So it follows um, Abigail Breslin, who plays Olive, who loves beauty pageants. Yeah. And she got to be in one and she was second runner up. And basically, because she's second runner up, the, the girl who won isn't able to fulfill her duties and she gets, she's, she's now the winner. Yeah. And so she gets to go on to the Little Miss Sunshine competition. She has, she's, her, her coach is her um, granddad. Yeah. Her mum is Tony Collette. She's called Carol. She's very stressed. She's trying to keep the family together. Um, her dad, who um, is played by Greg Kinnear, is called Richard. He's got his own little pyramid scheme going mm. that he's made up. Um, his brother, her, his brother, her brother, Paul Dano, is called Dwayne and is mute by a choice and full-blown emo. Yes. Oh, and the granddad's on drugs. Yes, the granddad is on heroin. He's a late-in-life heroin addict. Which we discussed. Yeah. If you're going to become an addict, do it when you're old. Yes. You've already lived your life. You know, you're going to die yeah. anyways. So Might as well die in a high. <laughs> so it's basically the story of... Um, Olive gets the opportunity to go to Little Miss Sunshine. Yes, and so this is the, 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 the travelling travelling to it. So it's a road movie as well. It's like, yeah, it's a road trip movie. So yeah, they uh, they get to travel across and the family hasn't got a huge amount of money so they're just in their little VW bus. Which, as I pointed out, if they sold the VW bus they would probably have more money <laughs> because it's the proper 1960s classic style. Yeah. And apart from the clutch, it's in pretty good damn nick. <laughs> So, um... Why do you like this movie? I love this movie for a number of reasons. Uh, the first reason is the mum, Carol, Tony mm. Collette. Steve Carell, um, her brother, plays Frank, comes out of a hospital institution because he um, has been very depressed, lost his job, and um, tried to commit suicide. And when Oliver asks about this, Carol is really honest and she explains why and she gets Frank to explain why as well and like Olive is very young in this but I think the level of honesty and bringing things down to like a child's level where they can understand it Mm -hmm. is very very good like as Jordan knows um my family's very open with any sort of these kinds of discussions and everything because we always think um there's never been any sort of stigma it's better to get these things out there yeah, 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 and talk about them and understand, do you know what, it's normal to feel like this sometimes and if you feel like it's too much then you should go and you should ask for support which is what I fully believe um, whereas the dad um, Richard, he's just an arsehole. Well he's at the beginning he is at the beginning and he is like suicide is what losers do and we're winners and we don't do this and we don't do that and then 
he he only talks about winners and everything. But that, that's part of his scheme. It's, that it, is part of his it's scheme. It's like it's like self actualization, isn't it? He's away his daughter's childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's saying, "Oh well, if you want to eat ice cream, that's fine, but ice cream makes you fat." And um, how many beauty queens but, have you ever seen are fat? But I think in, in the film sort of contradicts him as well because it's it's not until his scheme is all about sort of yet yeah, your winners and you you, you visualize this and you visualize that now it's not until he loses mm-hmm. when he becomes a nice person again so yeah, therefore but he's still an ass for the start of this film. Oh, for the start of the film that's yeah. what i'm getting at he's saying all this stuff to a child yeah yeah, yeah. a very young impressionable child who do you know what if she wants to have ice cream for breakfast damn well let her have ice cream for breakfast she's on a road trip it's like a little holiday that she's on she's having a great time why are you literally making your child feel like this i completely disagree with him and in fact i'm quite pleased when he get when he fails he's like right you're taking down a peg you can see that you can be work as hard as you can you can do this and sometimes the bad things still happen so you should not look your nose down at people and like the granddad even says, you have tried. You should be proud of the fact that you've tried. You've done more than what he he says even he's ever done. Yeah, yeah. He's done more than what anybody else, a lot of people have done and they've got a good idea, but it just hasn't worked. Doesn't mean that you're a loser. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means that this wasn't the right time. And to me... Yeah, I feel like he needed to be taken down a bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it doesn't matter if Oliver's entering these things. Like, she gets so upset when she's like, I don't want my dad to think that I'm a loser. It's like, she's doing these for fun. Yeah. She enjoys going out and she enjoys performing and being a little girl. And that's why he annoys me so much because he's literally taking that. Away. he's trying to take that away from her in the beginning in the beginning totally and yeah. I, I agree that but I think that's why the film makes him lose for him to get understand that that isn't the right way of thinking yeah, so I believe he's good. yeah he is a dick at the start but then he gets his redemption arc as if you will but so, so does everybody really because like you've got Abigail Breslin who is the soul of this movie yeah, she's, she, she's so the good. she's the big beating heart of it all. Um, but yeah, I agree. Everybody kind of gets like a bit of a, I don't want to say it's redemption because you look at the, the brother, all he has taken his vow of silence um, because he wants to be a fighter pilot. And he's like, until I get to do this, Dwayne's like, I am going to be mute. I'm not going to do this. He's also really big into, I can't say the name. Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche. Can't say it. It's got... Nietzsche, <laughs> Nietzsche. So uh, yeah, you know he's all into this. He's very emo looking, bless him. Um, and they find out just by pure accident with Abigail that he's colour blind. Yeah. And of course, when you're colour blind, you can't fly. Can't fly jets. Can't fly jets. Or planes or anything. Or, or anything like that. But then it also makes me think like, this boy is fifteen. How has your child not had his eyes tested before now? Because when we call the opticians, he, they, all they have is the circle with the letters in in a different colour. Like, I, don't, I don't think 
my opportunity tested for colour blindness. I, I only found out I was colour blind because I was trying to colour things in the wrong way. <laughs> Genuinely. But like I've all every time I went and had my eyes tested, they'll be like, Okay, yeah, can you can you tell me what the, the number is in this circle or the letter is in this circle and it's always been that the dots of different mm. colour. Like how has your child not done that test? How have you not exactly like you oh, you were colouring things in wrong? How have they not looked at his pictures and gone, um, just a question. Why are all your people green? Why? Why is the, the, the question the answer to that question is one. The American medical system. Yes, but it's just... Oh, it's really frustrating. That, you managed to get olive glasses, but you couldn't get him just just one eye test in his entire life. And, oh. um, but the, the fact that like his whole... He loses his whole dream in one day. And he doesn't like his family. He's a proper teenager. But then he still gets up and he still obviously really cares for his sister and still really wants to support her. And then the same with Frank. You see him getting so frustrated with Richard because he's like, what are you doing? Mm. You're an idiot. And he kind of starts off the film in a bit of a stupor. But by the end of it, he's like, no, I do have something to live for and it's my family. And it's, it's him and Olive that I like the most in this film. Yeah. I really like them the most because you see like the full change in character. He has something else to focus on other than what he perceives as being his failings. So it then kind of gives him more of a purpose. And then you have Olive who is just blindly going through things as a child is, loving life, having a great time, and then having to deal with very adult things that are happening all around her that her family's trying to, I don't want to say protect, I don't want to say shield, but like cushion yeah, yeah, from yeah. her. There's like, again, spoilers, but again, this film is from 2006. You haven't seen it by now, okay? It, fine, it's your own fault. But the granddad <laughs> dies yeah, yeah, yeah. on the road trip. They, um, it, It's Olive who's like, Dad, I can't wake him up. And so they take him to the hospital and he is, he dies. There's no way of being able to say to her, yeah, he's fine. He's just sleeping. She knows that he's died because then of what they have to do next. Yeah. Um, it's, but you, you see the dysfunctional family kind of learning to be functional in their own way, which I think is beautiful because I feel like all of us probably come from some degree of a dysfunctional family. Absolutely. I have never seen a fully perfect functioning family. Absolutely. And that's why I like this film. Um, I have a bit of a strange story regarding this because I watched this when I was at university. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you it was York City Screen, Screen One. <laughs> and I remember it because it was the first time when the credits started on the film, mm-hmm. people applauded. Really? And that had never happened to me before. I know it happens in, in the States and stuff like that. It happens at festivals. I've been to festivals where it's happened. But at the time... It's I, just I, a normal pedestrian I, showing. I, well, I'd I never been to a festival at that time in 20, 2006. And yeah, it was such a bizarre 
occurrence that it's always stuck with me and it's always this film's always had a nice little place in my heart Mm -hmm. but and one of the reasons why i do like it is because the family does feel very real yeah and each one of them has these defined personalities and characteristics Mm -hmm. and just so thought out like for example yes you got you've got all the little sort of nuances like um Paul Dano's being a mute and things like that with his notebook. But it's even down to the the way Steve Carell runs. It's it doesn't look like the way people runs. It looks like he's he's saw it in a book and he's trying <laughs> to try try to sort of Because he's an academic. Yeah. He was the he he's the uh, country's number one Proust expert. Now he's number two. Yes. But yeah. Uh, he, he's not that kind of person. No, yeah. that's it. And you hadn't seen Steve Carell like this before. No. Um. Obviously, people seen him in the office being Michael Scott and being very f- funny, but it seemed in a, in a dramatic role. And this film started something as well. It's like it started this American onslaught of this indie American cinema that mm-hmm. was all felt like they were trying to redo redo the feeling of little miss sunshine that dramedy with that kind of score because the score is very unique it's like a plinkety plonkety Mm -hmm. um score and yeah it's It's like um 500 days of summer kind of yeah yeah they try to get it and and i mean although yeah those films are great but i mean this one was probably one of the first and Mm -hmm. yeah it just gets that level of comedy and drama down to like a mechanical tea. Yeah. It, it just, it's so very well pitched where it's dramatic where it needs to be dramatic. It's funny where it needs to be funny, but it also understands how dramatic situations can be funny as well. Yeah. Like, for example, um, Alan Arkin's character dies, but then they're, they're trying to get the body out of the window <laughs> into the back of the VW is hilarious. Yeah, it is. It's really good. And you've got this sad moment followed by like probably two of the funniest scenes in the movie because mm-hmm. then you've got uh, the scene with the police officer as well. But it, it, it's all in the performances. For example, I mean, there's no bad performances in this. Steve Carell's great. Dano's great. Kinnear's great. Colette's great. But... Like Abigail Breslin in this movie, in for I don't know how old she was when she, when she did it, but I mean, she got she got an Oscar nomination for it. But mm-hmm. it's not a child being a child and filming it. It is a performance. It is because you've got that the scene with the granddad and the and her in the motel room where she's oh. like, "Do you think I'm pretty?" Yeah, and he, he explains, "Yes, you are." I mean, yeah, then he has a joke saying. I don't care about your brain or your um, charm. I just, yeah. just care about your looks. But the way she tears up in that scene and is so sad, but you can see her trying to act happy mm-hmm. on top of that. And and just the ability to do that. The only sad thing about it is, obviously, Abigail Breslin is still acting now, but yeah. she's never, ever been better she, than this. And I, she, it just peaked at a time where... She couldn't take advantage of it as much. Yeah, and I don't know if she still has it, but in this film, and at the time, or whatever the directors did, she had it. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, and then it's you're talking about like how the the family is finding their way to be dysfunctional in their own way. Yeah. And what I love about it is what you've got is this VW van that are traveling in that <laughs> it is the the way this is the place where they decide not decide but when they sort of start falling in love back within each other yeah it's close quarters but you've got them getting stronger as the van disintegrates <laughs> so you've got this sort of different these two different forces working against each other and absolutely it's such a damn good movie and like to go back to Abigail Breslin's performance, the thing that really stood out to me is she is she's she's like she she was she's she's just she's just a little girl in this. Mm. She's the bog standard average little girl that you see playing in the park on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. She goes to these beauty pageants, and you see the girls who are in this beauty mm. pageant. It's terrifying. But to me, like, obviously this was done 2006. I think it's a very good sign of today's society. Yeah. You go on social media, like Instagram and everything, and you see the women on Instagram, and they are like these pageant queens. Everything is perfect. Everything looks so good. Everything is this. Everything is that. And then, like, for example, I put up, a picture and I'm like I look nothing like these women and these women are all they're literally like a Barbie just oh, yeah. recreated again and again and again and the same with these pageant queens they've all got the bleached hair they've all they've all got the bigger hair because of course the higher the hair the closer to God yes they've all got the sequins they've all got the singing talent or the gymnastics or something the they've, they've all got the tan they are, they've all got the lash extensions. And, like, Olive doesn't have anything like this. She's a little girl, long hair, bit chubby, big glasses. And you just look and go, she's just a normal girl. And you don't really see it until she really gets there. And you're like, you you see the family sort of start to panic and go, she's not going to win she is nothing like these girls. Yeah. But then she ends up winning in a different sense because by the end of it, she has all of her family around her and she has an amazing experience. Whereas you could maybe assume that these other girls go and it's a really serious competition. You must win. You must do this. You must look like this. Those costumes don't look comfortable. You have, you have worn fake eyelashes. I have. They can be really uncomfortable if you're wearing them all the time. You have tan on, you smell like digestive biscuits or wet dog, depending on what kind of tan you've got. It doesn't look like fun doing it. The thing is, when you get to the pageant, and yes, the pageant is utterly creepy. And I, I think that whole industry is creepy. It's very... Well, we do find... There's nothing like that here. And and that's creepy. personified in the Master of Ceremonies, who mm-hmm. is nerve-shreddingly... Oh. Awkward. Oh, it's so awkward and you don't want to say paedophile, but at the same time he just screams it. Yeah, but when you get there, you've got all this, what I would call manufactured beauty. Mm-hmm. So you've got everybody like, not one of those girls looks like that when they're at home. No. 
But when you've got Olive, who has a natural beauty, yes. It's a kind of, and I hate using this term, but it's an ugly duckling story, isn't it? Yeah. It, but it's like how they find that they are just as beautiful as everybody else, but mm-hmm. in their own way. And she does. And for me, as I said, she's a beaten hat. Because without her, this family would have disapparated. Oh, God, yeah. And she is the reason why they all end up finding each other again. She's the only one who's properly she's, true to herself. She's a true innocent. Yeah. And I, I think that is the attraction of her character. She's... She just wants to go. She wants to have a good time and she wants to dance. Yeah. She wants to do the dance that her granddad taught her, which does end up being um, a little bit of a creepy stripper act. But that's it, though. But she has no idea. She's like, my granddad taught me this. Let's go. Let's have a great time. She doesn't care that people are booing and people are upset. And then when they do start to do that, her dad then goes to her rescue. Because they try and drag her off the stage. Mm. He's like, you're not touching my child. And then everybody else is on stage with her, letting her finish her dance and letting her have a good time. And that's what she was there for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and it's... That dance. I, <laughs> I, I still remember watching it in the cinema and <laughs> being in tears. <laughs> floods of tears. Because there's all... There's, I don't know if it's the film because the way it works because you you don't get to see any sort of her act before. No, you see nothing there. of her act. So you don't even hear the music of what it's gonna be. And you've you've had films like this where you don't see anything, um, to talk about it, and they're like, oh god, you you hoping for the the worst. For example, I think about um, High Fidelity. Yeah. For love the book, love the film. <clears throat> They talk about Jack Black singing um, and, and, and performing in this movie. Now, you know the character, you know mm-hmm. whatever. If you don't know Jack Black at the time, which, to be honest, nobody massively knew him. Yeah. You think that's going to be a car crash. Mm-hmm. But then you find out that they sing Let's Get It On and Jack Black's got a great voice. Yeah. It reverses it. Where this, there's something about it when, I, when you watch it the first time where you're like, because it's sort, of, it's sort of an ugly duckling story and because it's been so gone down a path such a way where is she going to be... Amazing. Amazing. She's going to do whatever. But the fact that she comes out and she... Like she does a, a stripper horrific. She does a stripper routine in a horrific costume. Oh, the costume's so bad. And the costume is so bad. But it fits the film so perfectly. Oh, it does. And my favourite part of that bit is the other beauty queen just being like, this is hilarious, this is brilliant. And the organiser just absolutely losing it. Whereas the actual beauty queen's like, yep, four points, love her, think she's great. It's like she's she's been allowed to be a child where the other people aren't. Yeah, because the way she dances, although she's been taught these moves, it's still like a child. She's just going through the actions of, right, okay, right, do this, do this, but she doesn't get like if you're an adult, you get that you would do maybe do it like a little bit differently mm. and make it like sexy and everything. She's not doing that. <laughs> she's just been like, told, hit your butt. Okay, I'm gonna do that now. It'll be fine. And she's just like, Yay, this is great, great big smile on her face, thinking it's hilarious and just loving life and 
all those other girls are dancing and they're professionally choreographed with an inch of their life. Yeah. Doesn't give you any kind of idea of the kind of person that they are. She comes on and it's like, she's obviously very innocent and she's obviously just really enjoying herself. (laughs) And that is so good. And I love that the only thing they get out of this is like, okay, yeah, you're not allowed to take part in any more beauty pageants in California. And that, yeah, I think we can do that. Yeah. That's fine. We can do that. But no, it, it is, it's such a heartwarming film. It is. It's a wonderful, it's, it does go down a little bit of a weekend at Bernie's type of thing. Yes. But, uh, it's, it's just and Al- so good. And Alan Alda, sorry, Alan Arkin in this movie, like, so worthy of, of that Oscar win. Oh yeah, he is hilarious. Like genuinely, the the the, the um, conversation he has with Paul Dano, it's oh, <laughs> it's so good. How are people not laughing during that? Because <laughs> I'd be wetting myself. But it's just, it's just no filter. No filter. It's even like when he's talking to Steve Carell, and he's like, "Yeah, I understand." When he's talking about his time at the um. Uh, retirement home. It's like I know you're a homo, but could you just think there's one man for four females? He's like, oh yeah, I like, bet you were busy. He's like, like, yeah, it was great. And second degree burns on his Johnson. <laughs> Brilliant. It was a good choice, hon. Thanks. I've got um some fun facts. Okay. Um. So, uh, Paul Dano was playing a 15 year old. Mm-hmm. He's actually 22. And there was only um, maybe about a decade between him and Tony Collette, who's playing his <laughs> mum. So, um, Abigail Breslin wore a little fat suit throughout all of this. Right. Um, unsurprisingly, when they get to the beauty pageant, all the pageant girls were real pageant girls. Oh, yeah. So, if you want to see how a pageant girl looks at six years old in America, watch this film and prepare to be terrified because they were wearing all their own costumes, they were dressed. As if they were appearing in a real pageant. Mm. So they had more makeup on their face for one pageant than what I wear all week put together. And I already wear a lot of makeup. And my favourite bit um, goes back to um, the Alan Arkin and Paul Dano conversation that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's saying all this stuff and it's very profanity laden. Um, production actually made sure that Abigail Breslin was really listening to her music so she didn't hear right. what was being said and apparently somebody just tapped her when she needed to like react to something yeah you, well, you can see really why that so is so she must have been quite young doing this oh absolutely I, probably, I mean she was definitely under 10 I'd say definitely yeah um, because we don't need her to hear what he was saying <laughs> but not anything else no, they were my fun facts. Brilliant, brilliant. So I think that's probably it for another week, uh, another week, another episode. Another week, another episode. Absolutely. Um, we don't know what we're doing next week, but there will be an episode out. Um, we'll have to pick up subject for ourselves, but yes. we can get that done after the show. Yeah. But as always, yeah, just go to your any of your pod catching services, rate reviewers, do what you can, and um, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter all that good stuff mm-hmm. but other than that yeah that's pretty much goodbye from me and bye from me see you next week <laughs>